Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and for those of you who are high school seniors, I hope you had some productive time with your applications as well. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Mary Soon Yoon, veteran of Barnard College Admission Office and College Coach. She and I will be discussing the supplemental essay questions for Loyola Marymount University and Occidental College, both in Los Angeles. For my third segment, I'll be talking with Becky Lighting, former admission officer at Tufts University and Carleton College and longtime college coach finance our long-time, long-time college coach advisor. She and I will be responding to a really interesting listener question. What is the difference between math and science, studying math or science, versus engineering um, as a major? But first, I'll be talking with Tara Piantanidis Kelly, or we call her Tara PK, <laughs> former senior financial aid officer at a variety of institutions, including Rochester Institute of Technology and Menlo College, as well as current college finance consultant here at College Coach. She is here to answer questions about how to get ready to pay back your student loans and specifically how to track them down and what is important to know about them. And just so you know, this is actually uh, the first of, I think, two segments. So Tara will clarify that for us. Uh, Welcome, Tara. Great. Thanks, Sally. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. And uh, this is actually very relevant to some people who are close to me. So I'm, I'm eager to learn more as well. Um, all right. So what what is important to know if you're if a student is is, you know, graduating from college? Um, what do they need to know um, to track them down? Um, you know, what what should they start with? Like basically, when were they need to start paying their student loans or for that matter, when might a parents need to start paying loans? Yeah. OK, great, great question. And uh, and just just so you know, when a student uh, student borrows federal student loans, before they leave school, before they graduate, they are required to do an online entrance loan counseling session. And that just takes, it takes about 20 or 30 minutes, takes them through everything that they should need to know about their uh, the federal student loans that they had borrowed. Um, so when a student borrows federal loans, usually they're, they don't go into repayment until six months after they've graduated or dropped below half-time attendance. So that's when the student borrower goes into repayment on their federal loans. If a parent has borrowed on the federal Parent PLUS loan program to help cover some of the costs of their uh, their students' um, college expenses, then the, student, the parent can either go into immediate repayment on those federal Parent PLUS loans, or they can choose to defer the payment while the student is uh, still enrolled in school and then go into uh, repayment after the student graduates. So it's up to the parent for, to do that. Now, if anybody has borrowed any private educational loans, those can be just kind of all over the map. So, you know, the borrower would, would really need to check with their lender to see, you know, okay, when am I going back into repayment on this? Okay. And so where can someone find information on all of their student loans? I mean, I'm guessing that people don't have all their paperwork neatly filed away and, you know, it's going to be a big scramble. So where can they go to check? 
right? That you're, I'm sure you're absolutely right, especially maybe if they had had some loans from their undergraduate and then they took out some loans for their graduate. It could be kind of all over the place. So um, the best place that someone can go to find their federal loans is on something called the National Student Loan Data System, and that's the Department of Education's central database for all student aid. So uh, you would just go to NSLDS, National Student Loan Data System, .ed for education, .gov for government, and then you'd click on financial aid review, and you'd have to sign in using your federal student aid ID, which is like your electronic signature, same thing that you use to sign the FAFSA. But once you log in to the NSLDS, um, you will see all of your federal loans, and it, it will list out. It'll just give you a ton of information about each loan, how much you borrowed, when you borrowed it, um, you know what what the principal balance is. If there's outstanding interest, you know how much is, is outstanding interest for each loan, um, and they have one of those you know blue download buttons. It says you know my student data download. So if you want to, you can just click on that. And it will download all of your federal loan information into one place. So you can get a ton of information from the NSLDS about that. It'll tell you, you know, who your servicer is for each loan and, and their contact information and their website. So you can log on to your servicer as well. So NSLDS is a great place to go. Um, another really good place to go for your federal loans is the, the federal student loan website, just studentloans.gov. And again, You'd sign in using your federal student aid ID, and it would give you, you know, a, you know, a listing of all of your federal student loans. But what the uh, studentloans.gov website has that NSLDS doesn't is it has a repayment estimator. So it'll say, okay, based on all of your loans here, you know, these are the repayment plans that you're eligible for. These are the estimated minimum monthly payments that you would qualify for based on those repayment plans. So NSLDS.ed.gov and studentloans.gov for your federal loans. But if you had private loans, they aren't going to show up on those. You're going to have to just pull your credit report, and we recommend annualcreditreport.com. You can pull your credit report free once each year. Uh, and your credit report should include all of your loans, your federal loans and your private loans. Okay, and so what is the difference between NSLDS, that website, and the studentloans.gov website? Well, uh, they have a lot of the same data. As a matter of fact, uh, the studentloans.gov pulls the students' data from NSLDS. So NSLDS is just think of it as kind of like a big warehouse. You know, that's where the information is. Um, you can't do a lot with that information. You just see it and view it, and, and, and that's all it really does. Whereas studentloans.gov, it has um, repayment estimators, you can click over to, um, you know, do a federal consolidation loan. There's just a lot more that you can do at studentloans.gov, including that's where you, you would do your um, online exit loan counseling as well. So NSLDS is good for viewing information. Uh, studentloans.gov is good for actually kind of playing around with it and, and doing some research. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. So what, you know, when you're looking uh, on these websites, what are you looking for? What are all the different things that you need to look for? Well, I think that the main one that I always encourage people to look for is who their servicer is, who their federal loan servicer is. And it's possible for people to have more than one servicer. And, and what happens uh, if, when that happens is uh, a person can be thinking, yep, I'm, I'm making my student loan payments because, you know, I'm, I'm 
set up with my servicer and I'm good to go, right? But what if they have loans with a different servicer? You know, and they're here, they're thinking, oh, I, I have everything set up, I'm good to go, when in reality, they're only making payments on some of their loans that are serviced by this one particular servicer, and their other loans could be going into default. That's, you don't want that to happen. So for each one of your loans, make sure you know who the servicer is on, on each loan. In a perfect world, you will have only one servicer, <laughs> but just make sure that that, that is the case. Um, also take a look at what the repayment date is for each loan. Uh, it could be that you could have different repayment dates based on when you borrowed or if you've already used your grace period on some of your loans and then you put those loans into the firm while you got new loans at, a, at, at the graduate level. Um, so for each loan, take a look and see what they show as the repayment date for, the, for that particular loan. Um, also take a look at the balances. What is the principal balance that you originally borrowed? See if there's any um, outstanding accrued interest that maybe you can pay before it goes into repayment. So take a look at the balances. Also take a look at the interest rates and see, you know, okay, what kind of interest rates do I have? Um, do I have some with higher interest rates, some with lower interest rates? And you can start to put together a strategy to say, okay, well, maybe I want to target this loan with the higher interest rate. So uh, take a look at the interest rates as well. Mm-hmm. All right, great. And so I guess uh, what about sort of minimum monthly payments or repayment, repayment plan options? I guess you might be going into more detail on those next week. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned for that. There's a lot more information here, but it's just, you know, we need to keep this in bite-sized segments so that that people don't get overwhelmed. So, But absolutely, uh, you could also take a look at some uh, minimum monthly payments and your repayment plan options on the uh, studentloans.gov website. And uh, and next week, I believe Michelle Richardson is going to be going into detail on uh, best practices for that as well. Okay. All right. Great. All right. So anything else for next week that they um, should know about? Like what, what are their next steps? Um, well, absolutely. You know, tune in next week for, for some really good information that Michelle is going to lay down about how to, you know, best practices for repaying your student loans. And then, uh, you know, another thing that you could do after you look up all of your information in NSLDS or studentloans.gov, reach out to your loan servicer. Even if you're not in repayment yet, go ahead and reach out to your loan servicer that they can get you set up with your login and you'll be able to see your, your student loans on their, uh, on their website. So, you know, it's not a bad, not a bad idea to go ahead and reach out to your loan servicer, um, you know, as early as possible. All right. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right. So we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, Mary Sue Yoon and I will go over the supplemental essays for Loyola Marymount University and Occidental College, both in Los Angeles. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, 
What options are available to pay for college? And most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application? We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, now, we're, now we'll be speaking with Mary Suyun about the supplemental essays for Loyola Marymount and Occidental. Uh, welcome, Mary Sue. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. These are actually really complicated and interesting questions, I think, for, um, mm-hmm. for LMU in particular. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really glad to have you all to talk about them. But let's let's start with um, kind of the easier one. They ask an optional mm-hmm. question. Please briefly state your reason for wishing to attend LMU and or how you came to select your major. So mm-hmm. it's optional, but I mean, I'm thinking students should answer it. Correct. Yeah, I always think that optional isn't really optional in most cases. And um, for this one, like many um, colleges that ask, uh, you know, why do you like our college uh, type of question, it's it's important for the student to write specifically about examples from that particular college. Um, and LMU in this example is also putting in um, an academic layer to it. So it's not only why do you like Loyola Marymount, but um, what do what does LMU have academically that particularly serves your needs. And I always um, say this is kind of their test of whether you've done some research on the school, um, whether you've been able to visit. Um, Some students obviously won't be able to visit, but you want to show that you've informed yourself well about the school and what they offer and how that's a match for your own particular uh, interests and goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think I think that's like a perfect overview because I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it because this is mm-hmm. the kind of question we've covered a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to actually forward our, our listeners, if you want to get more information about how to answer these kinds of prompts, you can look on our blog post, which is blog.getintocollege.com. And then you can just do a search for college essay prompts, how to answer why this college. So just how to answer why this college on the on blog.getintocollege.com. Um, and, you know, there's others on our radio show. You're going to hear about this um, a lot. So, all right. So let's move on to the required questions. So Mary Sue, LMU is a Jesuit institution. Um, do you think it's important for a student to reflect Catholic values specifically when answering these questions? Or, you know, does a student have to be Catholic? That kind of thing. Absolutely not. Um, And that's actually a question that I get a lot from students that I work with is, you know, some of these questions seem to be fairly uh, religious heavy. And so does that mean I I have to have a religious background or have to be practicing in a religion in order to answer them well? And uh, no. Um, Generally, I think when I think of Jesuit institutions, I think of this idea of lifelong learning and also a sense of social justice. And so whether that sense of learning and justice is steeped within a faith tradition of your own, whether that is Catholic or Jewish or Protestant or Buddhism or whatever um, you may practice, or nothing at all and just is part of your own personal moral code, um, I think that you can answer these questions well. You don't have to steep them in a Catholic view of it, nor is there a requirement should you attend uh, a Jesuit university like LMU for a student to either be Catholic or to take a lot of Catholic classes when they're there. Um, They're really quite open in terms of allowing and wanting students really from all uh, faith backgrounds or maybe a student who does not practice in any religion um, to be a part of their community. And so I don't think it's something that's a requirement or even um, asked for in what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. And I think I completely agree. And I think it's just really important to state that. And it's a wonderful thing about the Jesuits, like that they're so open in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. All right, so let's go through the questions one by one. Why don't you, uh, and these are long, so everyone listening, mm-hmm. you know, bear with us. Right. Um, you can right. obviously find these on the common application, um, but for the purposes of the radio show, Mary Sue is going to read them out loud. So let's, we'll start with the first one and then we'll discuss it. So go for it, Mary Sue. Okay, and I'm actually going to shorten them just a little bit because they are pretty lengthy, um, but each question that they give, um, they, there are three questions. Uh, they give you a choice of which one to answer, um, and it's up to 500 or around a 500-word essay of whatever choice question you pick. So each question has a quote, and then it has a question. Um, and the quote for the first one is a quote um, uh, that I will sort of paraphrase, and it's a quote about uh, a pope. Pope Francis's speech to the a joint session of the U.S. Congress, where he talked about the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, so, and then it goes a little further into the quote, but the question relating to that quote was, how do leaders and decision makers in any organization keep the golden rule in mind when striving for distinction and success? So the idea is, you know, uh, how would you answer that and how, you know, how to think about um, moral decision-making, I guess, is, is the heart of the question there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the first part of the question, um, they talk about reminding leaders of our obligations to each other, you mm-hmm. know, which I think is really interesting. So as a leader, it seems like in particular, then you have extra pressure on you, 
right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to be sort of especially mindful, um, which I think is, I, you know, I actually really love these questions, but they're not easy mm-hmm. questions, I don't think. No. So, um, and it really does kind of tie back into the social justice element that mm-hmm. you mentioned um, before. So, like, how do you, what are some things that you think students should keep in mind when they're answering this? So, uh, I would say that when a student's thinking about this, even though it's asking about how do leaders and decision makers in any organization keep this in mind, whatever leader or decision maker you're talking about, yes, you can talk about another person who you find to be um, uh, being moral in their leadership, um, but you should also relate the question back to you somewhat and say, you know, how does this person inspire you? Or why did you pick this person, essentially? Um, So, yes, use the person that um, you're talking about as the framework, but there should be some element of you in this question and and answer as well. Um, So, I think there's a lot of people that students could go to and and think about. Um, It could be a more local leader. It could be someone in uh, your own community that you talk about or uh, a club leader or someone within your school or it could be a leader more on a state or national level that you talk about. Um, and I think as long as you are kind of defending your position and laying it out well, there you don't have to um, sort of give all sides of an issue. You, it's a critical thinking question. So I think it is important for the student to... Uh, lay out what their opinion is on it and and then sort of defend it um, as to why they think that this particular person keeps uh, the moral values of their leadership in mind when they are making their decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, I like your notion of kind of a local leader because I think mm-hmm. that um, often students actually do a better job when they talk about something that they can observe directly. Like, like a question like this, it feels like it could pretty easily turn into like a, you know, academic paper comparing, you know, Mussolini mm-hmm. to like, you know, Roosevelt or something like that. And that's really not what they're looking for. Like you said, relate it back to you. Why, why did this particular, why did this matter to you? And feel free to use the stories. I mean, I even think talking about striving to be kind in small ways is um, mm-hmm. can be relevant. Like a story mm-hmm. about like a smaller kindness can work in this kind of an essay as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so good question. Um, definitely not an easy question, <laughs> um, but definitely I think a pretty cool question um, to think about. All right. So what about option B? Um, yeah. What do you, yeah, go ahead and read that one. And then let's, let's talk about right. that one too. So the second prompt is a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, which says, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. So, and then the question that follows it says, please talk about a situation that demanded critical thinking from you and how your choices or decisions integrated intelligence and character. So, again, it's it's sort of talking about... Um, how do you combine those two, not just uh, making the, the, the decision or um, it's, you know, again, talking about your choices and decisions. So I think it's important to relate back to something that the student has done directly, um, whether they are 
illustrating something that is local, again, within their school or on a bigger scale. It, it's talking about a specific experience or a specific instance that demanded that critical thinking, but also a strength of character when making that decision. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're trying to get at, too, is that a lot of situations are not necessarily black and white. Right. Mm -hmm. Like people, people kind of, I think people often think that there was clearly a right answer in any given situation. Um, And there isn't a lot of the time, like there's always going to be nuances. There's always that necessity to kind of think about it. So was there a situation when you as a student didn't immediately know what the right thing to do was like, um, you know, a friend of yours was cheating. It's pretty obvious. And let me just say, I always come down on the side of not cheating. I want to be really clear about that. But you as a friend are going to be, it's really common that you're going to be sort of hampered in your desire to put a stop to the cheating by empathy for your friend. Like what if your friend Mm -hmm. is cheating just not to fail? And if they fail the class, they're going to fail their entire year. So that makes Mm -hmm. it more complex than someone who's cheating to get an A instead of a B, right? Like, Mm -hmm. these are all things to think about. I'm just going to say very clearly, I come down again on the side of not cheating. But um, like, let me and let me just be clear that college admission counselors, like that was even more so the case, like when I was reading applications. But um, I think that's the kind of situations that they're thinking about, that they want to know that you don't just automatically go, this is bad. Therefore, I say no. Like you, you, you think about different sides to it. You weigh it very carefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the important thing yeah. too here is I can see students really wanting to like write a paper again. And they very clearly say a situation that demanded critical thinking from you. So I'm just going to emphasize that again. Yep, and how um, your choices and decisions. So again, the you and you are are front and center in that question. Yeah, exactly. Read the question carefully and answer the question. Always, always important <laughs> with these supplemental questions. Um, all right. So, what about option C? So the third option here is um, it's a motto often associated with the Jesuits and Marymount schools um, is educating men and women for others. So Father Pedro Arupe, the, the former head of the Jesuits, once said, our prime educational objective is to, be form, is to form men and women for others who believe that a love of self or of God, which does not issue forth injustice if for the least of their neighbors, is a farce. So then the question is, what do you think Father Arupe meant when he said this? Please give an example of someone you know, other than your teachers or parents, who works for justice for the least of their neighbors. Um, and I, just as an aside, I found that when I work with students through the LMU application, this is often one that, that students tend to gravitate towards a little bit more. I'd be interested if I was in the LMU admissions office if this one gets picked most. I don't know that it does. But, um, but it's really a question about uh, kind of someone who, who you know who inspires you in a social justice way, in a community service kind of way. Um, there is an, an important clause in there about other than your teachers or parents. So although I think, uh, to me, the best way to answer the question is to keep with a local example someone that you know because you can often be um, more 
colorful in your language and more vibrant in the way that you're discussing that person because you know them directly. Um, you do have to go a little beyond your, your very close circle of just teachers and parents. Um, but it could be someone, if you are a person of faith um, that is a religious leader in your community, it could be someone who inspired you with a community service with community service work that they do, um, or it's talking about social justice, so it could be advocacy as well. So someone who goes out and leads a protest um, because they feel that someone's um, civil rights are being taken away or, or something along those lines as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the ways that I would think about it. And uh, But remember, even though this one doesn't say... Uh, it's talking, saying to talk about a, a person that you know, you should still relate it back to you, as is kind of uh, the, the major point in any supplemental essay. But why did you pick this person? Why did they inspire you? And I think that mm-hmm. that's an important point um, to think about as well when you're discussing the person. Yeah, very important. And I and that is, again, the piece that, that is easy to forget. Many students forget it. But if you can relate it back to yourself, it's going to be more impactful. So, um, yeah, and I think, I mean, one of the things I love about these questions is that it really shows a lot about what LMU wants out of their students. Mm-hmm. They want students who think about questions of social justice. So um, I think that's just kind of a really good thing to keep in mind when you're reading these questions. If you're applying to LMU, that's going to be a theme on their campus. You don't have to be religious, mm-hmm. but you do have to care about social justice. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. All right, great. All right, well, let's move on to Occidental. Um, mm-hmm. So what's, uh, what's the first question that they have, if you could read that? Sure. Um, So the first question for Occidental is very similar to that first question for LMU, but it's why are you applying to Occidental? What are your intellectual curiosities and why do you think Occidental is the right place for you to pursue them? So again, as we said with the LMU question, I feel like this is one that we cover a lot on on the podcast, but it's... um, it's kind of a why this college question, but it's also why this college and why do you feel like your academic uh, interests would be well suited at Occidental? Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on that one? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to note that they said intellectual curiosity. So mm-hmm. I think what they're specifically saying is don't just talk to us about your major. Like if your major, mm-hmm. if you're curious about learning your major, that's good, but they want to know, like, yeah, what are your curiosities? I mean, what are things you want to learn just because you think they're interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have nothing to do with like making money or whatever. You just think this is like really cool. Um, but yeah, it's academic or it's intellectually related. So, mm-hmm. you know, not the place to talk about Pokemon characters unless you're able to do some sort of like broader societal analysis <laughs> around it or something <laughs> like that. So, um yeah, I think that's it. So again, I would refer back to the blog post that I mentioned, it, you know, about mm-hmm. like how to answer the why, why this college essays. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to the second question. Okay. So their second question um, is a 200 word maximum question. So a little bit shorter than the ones we were talking about at LMU. Um, but Oxy's question here is Oxy's central mission emphasizes the value of community amidst diversity. What do you value in community and how do you see your perspectives and life experiences enhancing it? So this is a perfect place to give uh, a, a story about something 
um, that you've maybe been involved in. And that definition of community can be pretty broad. Um, community could be a club or a sports team or a service group that you're involved in. It could be your family. It could be your actual town and community. Um, it could be, you know, uh, something else entirely. But I think that whatever community you choose to talk about, I think they're really asking, you know, what do you see as being kind of the core value of a community and then how does a community function well and hear all diverse voices is, is how I would read that. So how do you listen to many different opinions but still feel cohesive as mm-hmm. a community? Okay. All right. And we only have a few minutes left, so I think um, I think you covered it really well. So what about the mm-hmm. next one? So the next ones, they have a couple of short questions, but this one's uh, maybe a couple sentences, 131 words, maximum quirks, idiosyncrasies, and peculiarities. They help us, they help differentiate us. What's one of yours and how is it a reflection of your character? So again, this is just a couple sentences answer. I love this question. Um, I would caution that it should be a positive quirk or idiosyncrasy, Uh, you know, getting up at... 5 a.m. and blasting heavy metal music may be your quirk, but may not be well um, appreciated by your roommate. So it should be something that uh, you feel like reflects somewhat positively on you, I guess. Um, So that would be my thought on that one. Um, Any other thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I think it's, I, I think that's great. I mean, it literally could be super playful, like, I'm a football player who likes to make cupcakes, you know, like it's just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I had a student who was a chess player who also did weightlifting competitions. Like that seemed quirky (laughs) and fun to me. So yeah, yeah, perfect. I I always think this is a place to talk about something that's unexpected about you and that maybe doesn't fit into a stereotype of, of who a college might think you might be. So if there is something playful and fun, then that's a great place to talk about it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. So what about the next one? So then they have three really short questions that are 25 word limits. So just a sentence on each of these. Uh, The first one is, what word do you feel is currently underutilized in the modern English lexicon and why? So that's, you know, talk about kind of your favorite word and maybe a, a short sentence about it. Um, The second one is, what is the first song you would play for your roommates on move in day? So you pull out your Pandora play- playlist there and kind of <laughs> look at maybe what your your favorite um, favorite songs might be that you might pull up on that first day. Um, and then the third one's really fun as well. If you had your own food truck or restaurant, what would it be called? So I think for each of these, since you're naming a song or naming a restaurant or a food truck, you could name it, but then maybe give just a really short description as to why you would name it that mm-hmm. or yeah, why you think, picked that song or word. Yeah. And I think the main thing to keep in mind with these is you can definitely be playful. So have a good mm-hmm. time with it. All right. Well, right. thank you so much, Mary Sue. I really appreciate it. Oh, um, you're welcome, Sally. Great to be on. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, Becky Lighting and I will identify the differences between studying the sciences and studying engineering.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. In this segment, Becky Lighting and I will be talking about the differences between majors in engineering and math and science. Welcome, Becky. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. So this, I think this question is actually really interesting. It was, it came up from a listener. It was a listener suggested segment. And, um, I mean, I work in education. I was not a science major, but I still have somewhat of a sense of it. But it, it made me realize that not everybody really knows, or maybe they think all sciences is engineering or, you know what I mean? They just, it's, it's not mm-hmm. clear for everybody. So, um, Becky, do, what do you see as being the difference between science and engineering majors? Is there a quick way to summarize that? Uh, sure, yeah. This is, I'm so excited. This is a listener question. I didn't realize that. It's something that comes up a lot 
Um, in my work, I'm, I'm dialing in from our Silicon Valley office, where, as you can imagine, there are a lot of people interested in both disciplines. Uh, and the easiest way that I understand and articulate the difference is that scientists ask why the world works the way it does. They want to dig into understanding what's making it, what's causing that, what are the inputs and what are the changes, and just kind of digging into understanding deeply the problem or the process. And in contrast, the engineers are asking, how can I use that information to fix it? How can I change something or build something or tweak something so I can create the outcome that I want. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. a super generalization. There are, of course, scientists who every day are asking how questions and engineers who are asking why questions. But at the heart of the disciplines themselves, I think that that's kind of the, the easiest way to think about what makes the two different. Mm-hmm. It's funny. What just comes to mind is um, my brother's a physicist. And um, some of my relatives don't fully understand what that means. And so I remember we were talking about building a campfire once and they were like, well, Ken will know how to do it. He's a physicist. And I was like, Ken can can tell you like why fire happens, um, but he can't tell you how to build a fire. Like (laughs) you don't understand. He's a city guy. Like he can do the equations of how the, of the heat transference, but there's like building a fire. No, I probably not. (laughs) So that's one of the things that comes to mind. My husband's the same way. He is a, he was an undergraduate physics major, and then he did his graduate work in engineering, and he works now as a process engineer for a solar company, and his job is to make these solar cells more effective, and so he just had a big successful project where he was able to make a change to the process and make the solar cell better, and his team is like, great, let's implement it and move on, and he's like, but wait, I want to understand why I'm not ready yet, and I think he... You know, he has an engineering job, but he's a scientist at heart. And it's a it's an interesting balance between the two at work every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the broader theoretical aspect. But um, I wonder, you know, as I'm talking to you, if people don't in, in sort of a literal way, don't always understand either that like so engineering, there's all different kinds of engineering. But then within the sciences, there's like physics, chemistry, biology. And effectively, those are kind of the foundations for all other mm-hmm. sciences, aren't they? Mm hmm. Um, and nowadays you can find so many college majors that are interdisciplinary approaches between the two, like biochemistry or, um, neuroscience or cognitive science and so many different overplays of the three, but at their core, those three disciplines are approaches to problem solving. Um, and you could think about, you know, a big picture problem like climate change, through any of the disciplines, and you would be asking an entirely different set of questions. Like a chemist might be interested in how increased carbon dioxide concentration changes the acidity of the ocean. And then the biologist might say, ah, but how does the changing temperature of the ocean impact coral reefs? And then you get that interdisciplinary environmental scientist who says, and how does the coastal community who's using the coral reefs need to change their practices in order to make sure we're not further damaging it? And so at its heart, you know, these are different questions, but then every practical scientist is going to use those foundational disciplines to, to do their work in a better way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important to note as well. Um, often people don't seem to realize 
you know, I'll be talking to them and they'll say, I'll say, well, your, your son wants engineering. He has to take physics. And they'll say, well, you know, he wasn't going to, he's taking engineering though. So is that okay? And I'm like, no, that's not okay. He Mm -hmm. has to take physics. He has to take it and he's going to have to keep taking it when he's in college. It's almost the, you know, a basic language of engineering in the same way that math is. So, so that, Mm -hmm. I guess that's going to be another difference. And it's interesting because you and I talked before this um, and, and I didn't sort of think about this way. I didn't think about this, like to, to know engineering, um, it's like, you can't learn calculus until you know algebra, right? Like you can't know engineering right. until you know the basics of physics. So those, um, the kind of broader, um, sciences are sort of almost like the basic language that you have to start with. Everything else builds off of I that. Totally agree. And I actually, I've worked with some students who think, oh, I really like hands-on work. So I should be an engineer because I like building. And of all their sciences, they loved the lab sciences and chemistry and biology where they got to do stuff. And they didn't love the physics as much because they just, you know, they, they weren't as mathematically inclined. And to me, that's a great sign to kind of slow down and reconsider. Um, I think the jump to oh, engineering is the hands-on is a mistake because really engineering is so much applied physics and applied math. And if you don't enjoy those two core disciplines, the engineering is probably going to be a bigger challenge than you're thinking of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that um, your use of the term applied is really important as well. There's theoretical, like what my brother does is the astrophysics, completely theoretical. Applied means you're solving a particular problem right, right here, right now, you know, on this earth essentially. Um, (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's interesting how, it's interesting how things can kind of start out seeming real, really theoretical and then can become really applied. Um, I was listening on fresh air the other day to um, this scientist who was talking about how he studied microbes. So he was a biologist. So it's a little off topic from engineering, but I think it's illustrative of our point. Um, he was studying microbes in, you know, yeah, in the Amazon rainforest. So you would think those would not be microbes that you would find, you know, in uh, in your typical American home. But as he continued his career and studying it, he started to find that you would find some of those same microbes like in a bathroom in the United States because that bathroom would yeah. be a similarly like warm, humid climate. And you can find microbes that you typically just find in the Antarctic in your um, freezer of your refrigerator. (laughs) So then suddenly these, these theoretical questions become applied. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's interesting to me too, because then this comes back again to something that like maybe an engineer could solve, like the scientist, you know, identifies the particular problem and the engineer says, okay, so how do we fashion some kind of a system that doesn't allow a Mm -hmm. dangerous microbe, um, you know, into our environment, you know, then that's going to be an engineering problem. Yeah. I I really like that example as well, Sally, because it highlights the the versatility of your friend's content knowledge. I've worked with families who will say things like, oh, I just, I don't understand what you would do with a biology major. Um, And my answer there is, you know, it doesn't matter the content that you're studying. Your friend happened to be focused on microbes in the Amazon, but because he understood how those microbes work and interact and grow and change, 
he's able to then apply that knowledge to so many other real problems in an everyday job setting. So it's not that he's somehow this obscure expert just on Amazonian microbes as much as he's a biologist who understands these everyday truths and can help an engineer figure out how to address it and apply that knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really important to note in general that whatever major you're doing, you're learning a set of analytical skills. And then there are careers, engineering being one of them, that require certain kinds of licensing, certain sorts of courses, um, you know, in addition. But every college education needs to include these kind of analytical skills. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny when I when I talk to students who think, well, why do I need to why does math so matter matter so much for computer science when I can just learn this particular language? And, you know, my response to that is, well, what do you think is going to happen in 10 years? Do you think they're going to be using that right. same language? I mean, the idea is that you have that foundation in math because math is the theoretical foundation, the basic lo- logic, the basic language, you know, behind how all these other things are done. Um, so, well, again... Go ahead. You just touched on a really important distinction as well in terms of the classes that kids take. I think while certainly the decision to major in chemistry or the decision to major in mechanical engineering is not putting your life on a permanent track that can never change, I think that decision between science and engineering does have a big impact on the courses that you study in college because at most universities, the College of Engineering has a different set of graduation requirements than the College of Arts and Sciences. And so as an engineer, you are expected to be taking, on top of your major, so much more physics and math, like we've talked about, whereas the scientist in the College of Arts and Sciences is probably going to have a broader set of general requirements, and so they'll be complementing their scientific schoolwork with English classes, history classes, music lessons, whatever other breadth requirements they're interested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I think that's important to highlight, too, is I've heard people say to me, well, even if I'm going to get a master's in engineering, I really need to get that undergraduate degree in engineering or the graduate schools won't like me. But I think it's important to note that um, that your husband, that Sean, did his undergraduate degree in physics and then went on, as you said, um, to get his master's in engineering. So it's Definitely. very possible. Yeah. Well, and it's another kind of funny wrinkle there is that our college, our undergrad college, only affords Bachelor of Arts degrees, no Bachelor of Science. So Sean has a Bachelor of Arts in physics. Um, I get a lot of parents who are kind of concerned about the distinction between a BA, Bachelor of Arts, and a BS, the Bachelor of Science, and trying to understand what that means to hiring managers. And I think the reality is that's really a university choice how they use those archaic Latin designations to describe their degrees. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a major, major in physics or major in civil engineering. Um, and those smaller distinctions are really kind of how else can you think? And my husband chose to minor in two different languages. He's a polyglot, and that's been really helpful for him working in a diverse workforce. Um, and I think he's probably a better scientist because of it. But that was that was his choice, and... You know, for for the teenagers and the parents listening, I think it's worth reflecting on what are the outcomes you want from that college degree, in addition to an awesome job and being financially independent and being an adult ready to live in the world. 
what does that actually mean to you? How do you want to stretch your brain? How do you want to stretch your understanding of the world so that you're ready to be an independent adult? And does that mean more coursework in the the depth of technical skills, or does that mean more coursework in the breadth of a broader experience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually frequently tell students, especially if you are thinking you're going to get a graduate degree anyway, um, having a broader undergraduate degree might be better because it'll give you more time and space to investigate kind of what you're thinking about doing. And I have to say, I knew multiple physics majors at Reed, which is very similar to your undergrad institution, and they all got bachelors of arts in physics or chemistry mm-hmm. or math, and all the physicists that I knew all the physics majors ended up either in engineering or um, actually most of them ended up in computer science, which I thought was kind of interesting. So again, just those basic analytical skills that they acquired, like the mathematical skills were enough to move them into this extremely applied field. Um, And, you know, this includes a guy who's been at Microsoft since pretty early on and is doing very well. You know, he's been there his whole career, um, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I totally agree. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Sally, when you said you know, you're not getting this degree so you are qualified for your first job. You're getting this degree so you're ready to develop a career that can grow and change and shift in response to the market and in, to evolving technology and to you know, your evolving priorities as an adult. And so thinking that bigger picture, what do I want to learn and how do I want to kind of stretch my capacity is really important at the at the application stage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Listen, Becky, thank you so much. That was great. Oh, awesome. You know how much I love being on the radio. It's so fun to talk to you. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. So now I want to tell everyone about our show next week. Um, it'll be guest hosted by Ian Fisher. He's got a great show coming up, including another segment about repaying student loans and the supplemental essays for Boston College and Colgate University. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download the show, download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find shows with varied topics, such as the Common and Coalition Applications, Study Abroad, Completing the FAFSA and the CSS Profile, so a lot of really valuable information. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. And last, do not forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, so check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.